I tried the horse uh, one day. Philip said, ride it one more time. The next day, I evaluated him medically. The next day, I paid for him. The next day, I took him to a one-star. Wow. So, <laughs> It happened in about four days, and um, it's just uh, it, it's just really the horse of a lifetime. Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing fans. Hey, Karen. Hey, Rob. <laughs> Karen was a cheerleader for anybody, so that was indoctrinated in her in her cheerleading days. Hey, Karen. Hey, Rob. Hey, so guess what? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we got a really awesome five-star review on the Major League Eventing Facebook page. Nice. So Krista W. is getting a big-time shout-out today for her awesome big, bad five stars. Um, why don't you read what she wrote us, Karen? Uh, Krista says, just discovered this, I enjoyed the first and last episode, and as a major league eventing fan, I am excited to hear more from this podcast and social media site. That was awesome. It sure is. Krista, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And... Um, we just uh, we're going to work very hard to keep uh, keep you and everyone else enjoying enjoying our content and um, coming along for the ride. Yep, thank you. Thanks a lot. On today's show, we have a guest that wears many hats. Many hats. Many hats. He's a four-star eventer. Yep. An FEI veterinarian to the eventing stars. Yes. Uh, owner for Philip Dutton. Yep. And the owner of the Sports Medicine Associates of Chester County. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kevin Keene. Dr. Kevin Keene, thank you for coming to the show. Uh, it's my pleasure, guys. Uh, how do you prefer to be addressed, Dr. Keene? Well, I I can recall riding in uh, the car with my, my mother one time, and uh, I said, oh, Mom, excuse me, I, I, I have to call a few clients. And I, I would call, it is when we had cell phones, of course, and I uh, I would call them and I'd say, um, I'd say, uh, Hi, uh, Patricia, this is Kevin Keene calling. And I got done calling several people, and my mom said, I'm so glad you don't call yourself doctor. <laughs> and, um, I, I, you know, I, it's obvious that I have a, uh, some initials after my name, um, and, and that's wonderful. But I, I have a very uh, a friendly first-name basis with the majority of my clients, and everyone calls me really by my first name. There are a few clients, and I let them choose their comfort level, and some of them are, you know, adults that are, near my age and they always call me Dr. Keen. So uh I people either call me Dr. Keen or they call me Kevin and I'm I'm a please refer please call me by my first name, which is how I ask people to, to address me. Oh, oh okay. Right. Kevin it is. Kevin it is. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot. Uh we always ask our, our guests when we're you know when when we do the interview, especially over the phone, like where where are you right now? Just so we have an idea of with all the travel, okay, so and I, I, I'm actually at, I'm actually I just left my office about 15 minutes ago when I texted you guys and said I'd be in a comfortable position. So I'm actually at my home on my back porch because it's very quiet here, and I thought that it would be a, a good spot to be able to to be interviewed. So nice, um, nice. Uh, I'm at my residence, which is in Cochranville, Pennsylvania. And do you travel south for the winter, 
Like, how do you work that with your clients that go down <clears throat> south? We we do, uh, and that was that has been a uh, a work in progress. And I did not know how it would turn out when I started it, um, and it has turned out to be very successful, which has uh, been uh, really a a, a a nice boost to the practice. I tell people that are not horse people all the time that people who own horses and ride horses are, are basically a little bit like gypsies. We we pretty much uh, pack up pick up and move to where the weather is a little bit better. And pretty much mm-hmm. this is what has become the norm now with uh, people who are in with show horses, um, the hunters and jumpers, of course, um, have several uh, wonderful destinations, you know, both in, um, you know, on, on the West coast and here on the East coast, they, they go to Aiken, they go to Ocala, they go to uh, Wellington, Florida. And uh, it, it began uh, when Philip Dutton, um, made an association with a, a wonderful owner uh, that, that he had after the um, Atlanta Olympics, Marilyn Revere, and she lived in Aiken, South Carolina. And the Australian team, which was the country that Philip was um, riding for at the time because he's a native Australian, mm-hmm. uh, they had used Aiken as their training base for the Atlanta Olympics because the Olympic Games were then only two and a half hours and they had a wonderful training base in Aiken. So what happened was the following year, Philip returned there. So, you know, we're, we're talking then in, um, in, in 80, 87. So he, re, he returned and, uh, excuse me, 97. And, uh, basically, um, uh, we, we then started going for a couple of weeks every winter. And of course I wasn't working as a veterinarian. Then I would just go with my horse for kind of a two week, um, hiatus from the cold weather. And then at one point I realized that so many of my clients were going to Aiken that it would be in my best interest to actually set up the ability to practice there, which I then, uh, I, I th- then did, you know, we became, uh, formal there and that we had an address. We have a, a wonderful small farm and clinic there. Uh, and, uh, we have a nice association with other excellent veterinarians in town that, uh, we can refer cases to if it's something beyond what we can treat, um, at our own facility, uh, where it might need hospitalization. And, uh, many of the eventing clients choose Aiken as their winter destination because they might want to be there because of their coach. You know, in my, my case, uh, I, I'm very close with uh, Philip Dutton, Boyd Martin, Ryan Wood, uh, you know, a number of other you know, wonderful clients that we, we have go there, Aaron Sylvester and so forth, Courtney Cooper. And basically they all go south and it's in their best interest and ours for us to keep up our close association in veterinary management. So I began going regularly and now I go for the entire winter. So we go about the first week in January and come back sometime close to the first of April, and we do it. It's it's all it's it's meant to be work. It's not a yeah. thing. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it is nice to be out of the really cold weather, but you know, it is uh, it's, you know working seven days a week, which is we enjoy. But uh, we we do it on the competition calendar. So let's say it's a year that many of the clients are going to stay until. After the first week in April, we stay also. If they're coming home a little bit early, some people like to come home after Carolina International, which would put them home about the last several days of March. We come home then. So we, we follow our clients, and this has turned out to be a, a good business move also because it keeps us busy throughout those months as now so many horses are uh, migratory uh, with their with their trainers that, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania, we have much less work than we did 30 years ago in the wintertime, you know, it used to be not that many people would leave. Now the majority of people leave and go South. So we, um, we follow them and, and go take in South Carolina. 
pretty pretty cool. Yeah, that's a that's pretty awesome. So for you, what came first, being being an event rider or a veterinarian? Definitely being a veterinarian. Um, okay. People ask me a lot of times about my priorities, and I've been interviewed about this, and I say that they're my priorities are very clear to me. And uh, I always wanted to be a vet when I was a little kid. We had a wonderful veterinarian that came to our farm. My parents owned uh, quite a large number of horses when I was growing up. We had, we had a lot of different animals, but we had a lot of horses, and it turned out to be a bit my my bellowick and and in the, the family and that I was turned out to be the person with animal husbandry desire and, um, you know, ambition to do it. And so I took care of all the animals and we, we had an awful lot of animals, you know, you know, beef, beef cattle and, and, and hogs and wow. sheep and, um, and, uh, you know, animals that competed in, um, you know, fat cattle shows and, uh, a lot of horses. And, um, and so I ended up being the caretaker for them and the veterinarian that we had, when I was a child, his name was Hank Schlachter, and he was a fantastic um, role model. Probably did mold me a little bit, but I would always make sure I was there on hand to help him with whatever procedures. Which there was quite a few with all the animals we had. Wow. And I, I wanted to be a veterinarian from as early as I can remember. I always wanted to become a veterinarian. Um, and Karen specifically, I, I didn't really begin eventing until Philip Dutton had an influence on me to do so. I was practicing for quite a few years mm-hmm. already. And Philip moved to this country in 1991 and he and I became, he became a client immediately. And then very quickly we became really close friends. And he said, you know, this is something you can do. And I said, well, you know, you can't really, when you're a vet, you don't have any time. You can't take any riding lessons and you can't have any time off because you tend to work pretty much all the time. He said, most events are on a weekend. It might only be one day. And if you can get one day off, you know how to ride. And I, I said, well, I, I said, I, I had ridden as a kid and, and didn't have any formal lessons, but I could ride a horse. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to give you a lesson. And it just happened that um, uh, some good friends of mine um, who are Michael and Didi Maps had some show jumpers that had been semi-retired um, at a farm near where Philip was living. Mm-hmm. And uh, Didi, Michael's wife, let me borrow one of hers. And I went and had a lesson with Philip. And we actually did quite a lot of jumping and, you know, some fairly bigger size fences. And he said, Oh, well, you, you definitely could learn to do this. And so <laughs> Philip influenced me. I started going to events with him and, um, I then got exposed to the international level of eventing. I started going to Europe with Philip as he was competing internationally. And I saw these amazing riders who all are, all have written books and all are famous people in the sport in the last couple of decades. Obviously, Bruce Davidson was already here in this country as a two-time world champion. And, um, you know, I was uh, familiar with Bruce's riding, but I started going to Europe and we'd see Mark Todd and Blythe Tate and um, Andrew Nicholson and William Fox Pitt. And, you know, it just goes on and on uh, the list of amazing riders. And they all rode, you know, to such a high level of skill that I became very intrigued with the sport. And the part I really liked about it is my practice has always been quite involved with racing. We have a lot of racehorses in this community, and, and we do care for a lot of racehorses uh, and, and some very, very good ones in, in, the, in our area here in the Mid-Atlantic. You know, so many racetracks close by. Mm-hmm. I liked the concept of being able to understand the exercise physiology of a galloping discipline. You know, galloping disciplines obviously being, in a, you, know, uh, you, know, you know, racing, eventing. Uh, you know, polo the horses galloping fox, and you know we have a lot of horses in this community that 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 gallop. 
and um and basically uh I'm a pretty tall person you know I'm um I'm over 61 and uh it was kind of a way of me um being a little bit of a jockey on a horse doing some galloping despite my height and uh so that was a big part of it is that uh the the medical part of learning about a racehorse's huh. or event horse's physiology um was uh, a scientific part of it and uh Philip is one of those people that makes um he makes the sport very he challenges you a lot and and ma- made the sport a lot of fun and so I started doing it um about a year after I met Philip and very quickly got caught up with um you know the the love of the sport and I I recall I did I only did three novices and then I did one training and then I went preliminary. Wow. I don't know if you do that anymore, but I, I went pretty, I went pretty quickly in about nine months after I started, I went to the Essex three day events um, and did my first three day event, which is of course the old format where you did the roads and tracks and steeplechase and the whole thing. So it was just great fun. And then and after that, it was hooked. So that was, wow. that was pretty quickly on. So that's now about 25 years ago. Wow. wow. That is awesome. Yeah. And then, and then, so in 2014, you did your first four star. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I, I did, and so um, I went to Europe by myself. Philip, for some reason, could not go with me, and I had said to him, and it was in 2013. Uh, I had been I'd been working at uh, what we formerly called Rolex Kentucky, that we now all call Land Rover Kentucky, with our new sponsorship. Um, thank you to both sponsors for your all your uh, efforts at supporting the four star. Um, basically I, we came home from Kentucky in 2013 where I, I go as a, uh, as a, uh, uh, private treating veterinarian every year. And I, I had been doing it at that point for, you know, uh, about 19 years. And, um, I came home and there's something about going to a major event, whether it be badminton or Burley or, uh, you know, uh, Blenheim or any, any, you know, po- any of these major events, there's, there's a tremendous excitement that builds up in you as you are participating in, in being at the event. And I got that feeling every year I'd go to Kentucky. When I came home in 2013, I said to Philip, or excuse me, no, it wouldn't have been 2013. It would have been before then because it was, uh, um, I had already had Fern Hill, but it would have been, uh, okay. it would have been three years before I actually competed there. And I'd said to Philip, you know, I would, I would really love to ride around here just one time in my life. Now I'm 10 years older about than Philip, something like that. And so I realized I was getting a bit long in the tooth to think about riding at a high level. But uh, basically, yeah, it was actually 2011. I'll, I'll correct myself. And he said, okay. And, and he's so matter of fact, um, he said, okay, we need to get your horse. He made a few contacts in Europe. I went to Europe and I bought Fern Hill Flutter, who um, turned out to be a pretty fortunate and phenomenal find for me. You know, he was a horse that uh, had done a little bit on, on quite unsuccessfully in Europe, but there was something about him I liked. I got to see him go to an event there with a, a very good rider. And uh, interesting, he didn't, he didn't even go clean at the event, which is just a novice horse trot <laughs> over in England. But um, he had a beautiful gallop and was very efficient across the ground, certainly had the ability. And I got on and rode him, and I only jumped him over about four or five fences. And um, I said, I, I, I like him. She said, well, he's going to a horse trial tomorrow. Do you want to watch? I did. And sure enough, he had to stop on the cross country, but I bought the horse nonetheless and came back and um, under Philip's guidance and, and, and so forth, we um, got the horse out of some of the habits that he had, he had gotten into, which was, you know, periodically, you know, um, stopping at jumps. And uh, he kind of went from strength to strength. And 
the following spring, so about uh, maybe it was 11 months after I got him, I took him to Bromont to the two star and where he was sixth. And, uh, and then to, uh, uh, I, I did Fairhill international with him. And, um, the following spring, he was uh, third in a three star. And when I took him to Bromont, he was third in the CCI three star, um, you know, right up in the rankings with, uh, Boyd Martin, Philip Dutton and John Howling won that year. And, uh, then I took more time for training. And then in 2014, we, um, we went to Kentucky and uh, where he was pretty phenomenal and he did, he did end up fishing. You know, we, we weren't perfect, but we went well and uh, he finished in the top half of the field. Wow. wow. So it was a great, great excitement. And um, he's now gone on to have a couple of young rider uh, owners who are, they're, they're building a relationship together and um, they are, you know, uh, using him as a, uh, a horse who can, who has the ability to compete at a higher level. And it, it's good to get that kind of partnership and the young lady who's riding him now I was doing a wonderful job and has already won an FBI competition with oh, him nice. which is really exciting yeah. and uh, so he, he's found found a very good home and then um, Philip had found a horse he liked for me which I uh, moved into um, actually the day after Fernhill Flutter got sold I, I tried this other horse and bought him so I didn't waste much time getting a new mount and that's uh, Sportsfield Candy yeah nice horse yeah nice horse is that yeah, your he's, he's he, he's he's pretty excited. It's an extremely kind horse, and um, he's uh, he, he he suits me really well. And Philip has a very good record for matching horses and riders. If you look, he found Antigua for Will Fadre, which you know, put Will on the map as a uh, you know uh, an international rider, having done multiple four stars with him. You know, with a high degree of success, Heidi White, um, who had Northern Spy. Uh, Philip matched her up with that horse, and you know their their success was. Tremendous here, uh, mm-hmm. second at um, Kentucky one year, and you know we're also named on the short list for um, uh, to be team riders for the United States. And uh, Philip was very good at matching horses and riders. And he said to me, he "Goes, I think this would be a good horse for you." And I really never paid much attention to him because I thought he was way out of my price range. But um, I tried the horse uh, one day. Philip said, "Ride it one more time." The next day, I evaluated him medically. The next day, I paid for him. The next day, I took him to a one star. Wow. So it, <laughs> it happened in about four days, and um, it's just a, it, it's just really the horse of a lifetime. He's just an amazingly kind animal, and he suits me quite well. And so, um, I'm hoping, uh, hoping to go as far as I can. We've done a three star already, where he went beautifully, um, and uh, so I. Uh, uh, I, I'll go as far with him as we can, as long as we are both going well. But he certainly has all the ability in the world. That is mm. fantastic. Um, we know we're, yeah. we're, we're 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 on a little bit of a time crunch. There's so yeah. much we want to talk to you about. But the um, the the your so you own that horse, and that's your competition horse yourself. But then you're also an an owner in uh, Phillips Horse Mighty Nice. Is that correct? Yes, and that that was a yeah yeah thanks Rob. Um, it's just a really wonderful group of people that came together. So um, Philip and the, the Dutton family and, and uh, uh, Caroline Moran and um, and I uh, we had a very close friend Bruce Duchessois who, who unfortunately you know left this life way too early you know in his in his mid sixties um, you know Bruce had uh, contracted cancer and you know fought really bravely for a few years and um 
and he had owned Mighty Nice for Philip, and um, he and Philip were really close friends. And so what happened is when, uh, after Bruce passed, uh, Philip put together a group of people asking about ownership in the horse. And um, so Philip's wife, Evie, um, Annie Jones, who's been, you know, the long-term owner for Philip with so many horses, you know, the foreman, she's in a number of these syndicates of, you know, horses that he has going now. Um, and uh, uh, been with Philip since the, the outset. Uh, Caroline Moran, uh, very Bruce Duchess was a very close friend, and uh, and I we all went together uh, to form a uh, partnership, um, and so we we have the horse together, and so uh, you know we the selectors for Rio did not pick Philip on Mighty Nice as his first choice; they put him on one of Philip's other mounts, and then at the very last minute, um, a small injury kept the other horse from. Uh, getting the opportunity to go to Rio. And so they put him on the second choice, which is mighty nice. And uh, that uh, oddly, no one, no one knew what the Olympics were going to be until they got there and walked the course. And as it turned out, it was a course that suited mighty nice perfectly. And of course, Philip is, uh, he's got that, he's got that game face of competing on. And he, he was all about getting everything done. You know, there's now a very famous picture of a uh, horse being confused for a second in yeah. a, nar- a narrow fence. Confused for a second. I like that. I like the way you phrased that. <laughs> well, Philip has retold the story many times, and he said, you know, you couldn't really appreciate it from the camera, but basically he was a very brave horse. He'd never try to do any, try to get out of any work. But uh, Philip said the way the angle was and where he came around the corner, he didn't have enough time quite to assess what he had to do. And for a second, he questioned it, and the famous picture of Philip using his uh, right knee and leg to push the horse back over between the flags um, is, you know, is, is just a, a, a great moment of athleticism yeah. caught in time. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, uh, we, and then of course, um, we, we all were holding our breath a little bit because, you know, uh, we didn't really know quite what was going to happen. And Philip even questioned that at one point they blew the whistle after he'd done several more fences and he thought, okay, here they are pulling me up. I oh, missed no. the flag but they were actually doing it for another rider. Oh. <laughs> Although he, he kept going. And of course, the long story short is mighty nice. Sometimes gets very exuberant uh, in the show jumping. And he's so powerful <clears throat> that he, it took Philip, you know, a few years to get him so he could jump a clean round because he basically would be overpowering the jumps. And, and uh, he would be uh, uh, capable of, of, you know, ha- having a couple rails down. And then at Rio, he jumped so beautifully and jumped a beautiful clean round, just had one in the second, and then that brought Philip up into the bronze medal position. That was awesome. Or, were you able to be there in person? Pardon? Were you able to be there in was person that? in Rio? Well, I'll tell you, I, I was not there. I'm watching it on uh-huh. television. I'll tell you what happened. Was And it, it's, it's just so uh, how things happen. Because Philip was named on a different horse, and he was not named on Mighty Nice as the selector's first pick, we entered Mighty Nice at the Burley Horse Trials, along with um, the horse that Tom Tierney and Annie Jones owned at the time, who's called Fernhill Fugitive. So Mighty Nice and Fernhill Fugitive were going to Burley. So I, I said to myself, well, I don't really want to miss Burley if my horse is competing there. Yeah. And given my job and other responsibilities I have of you know, you know, managing a business, my own animals and so forth, I thought I should probably only take one week off. So I decided to go to the Burley Horse Trials with Mighty Nice. Well, at the very last minute, when uh, Mighty Nice had to be pulled out of the second spot of uh, their selector's choice and go to Rio, I had not um, 
planned on going and never did any um, uh, uh, Olympic, uh, you know, pre-qualifications to get to go to Rio. I, w- I was always going to Burley, which, of course, was a whole month later. So as it turned out, I ended up going to Burley with Phillip, even though Mighty Nice had already competed at Rio. And uh, oh. uh, it, it, it was, it, it was still, we got to see everything on the television, so it was great coverage. And so um, I actually was not present at, in, in Rio, but uh, oh. um, Evie and Caroline Moran went, and so um, he, he, had, uh, he, had, he had half of his, half his team supporting him there. That's awesome. Well, um, we know that we're a little bit, uh, press for time. You go, go with go with one more question, Rob. We're, okay. we're good, and then uh, we'll do something again in a couple of weeks when uh, when you guys uh, uh, have, have time. If you want, if you want me to, to uh, have me back for something, it's fine. Absolutely, uh, that'd be great. The uh, this is fantastic. Well, being that we have one of the contributors to the uh, Bible of Equine Lameness, the book is the Diagnosis and Management of Lameness in the Horse, and you were. Uh, uh, you wrote some chapters in that from what I understand. Um, just, just so we can give the listeners just a little bit of value back since we have you on right now. Um, could you give our listeners just, just a little tidbit? Like if you can give them just one piece of advice for how to care for the horse after they get done heavy work or an event, what, like, uh, could you just share just, uh, maybe your, your, your top tips for keeping that horse sound for the next day? Sure. Um, yeah, that, that book that you mentioned is written by uh, Mike Ross and Sue Dyson, both absolutely brilliant veterinarians. Sue is at the Animal Health Trust in England, and Mike is currently at New Bolton Center, um, uh, University of Pennsylvania. And, uh, yeah, within uh, less than two weeks now, he's uh, he's leaving the university, but they both are uh, just brilliant contributors to the, uh, the title of the book, Diagnosis and, and Management of Lameness in the Horse. And, uh, they're very kind to include me in um, you know, the, the um, private practitioners that had an opportunity to, to contribute. And so I, I, I give them a big, big thanks all this time later. Um, there is a book that was written, which Mark Todd and um, Andrew Nicholson and Blythe Tate, two-time world champion, Blythe Tate from New Zealand, uh, Phil Dunn, they've all contributed to. Um, and it's called The Aussie and Kiwi Secret to Success. And... I've read it, of course, as I've read nearly all these horse books. Um, I have a whole library of them. And there's a couple really good um, lines in there. And one of them, and this one, this was in Phil's chapter, and he says, basically, you have to know your horse. And I think, you know, caring for a horse after hard work, or let's say at a three-day event, what you must do is know every small innuendo about your horse so that you know when they're doing something that is different, not comfortable and out of character for their their health and comfort and soundness. So observing and knowing your horse is very, very key. And um, I think with eventing, and one of the things I always liked about eventing, um, which is is different than some of the other disciplines, um, you know, where maybe somebody will just get on a horse and just do a, do a catch ride on it, as you'll see a jockey show up in a in the paddock and perhaps ride a racehorse that they've never sat on before, which shows how phenomenally talented they are that they can guide a horse through a, a, a race that they haven't been on before. But in eventing, one of the things I always liked is that um, most of the riders, they're, they're very close to their horse. They spend quite a lot of time with them because eventing has three phases, but the triathlete of the equine world, there's a lot of fitness that has to be done, dressage, um, 
certainly has challenged me my whole life and will continue to do so. And, you know, um, some of us, uh, uh, you know, we always are getting better, but, you know, I think in particular for some people, it's, it's more, more of a struggle. It takes great sensitivity and balance. And, um, so you spend a lot of time doing it. And so you tend to be with your horse a lot. When you have a horse that you've done hard competition with, let's say they ran a CIC, which is basically a horse trial under FBI rules or a CCI, which is a you know, full format three-day event the way that we do it now. Um, knowing anything different about your horse is what's really key. You know, when do they feel tired? And, and a great challenge in eventing is, you know, the majority of horses are, you know, feeling some change or, or tiredness throughout the a CCI. You know, you get to the end of a 10 and a half minute or 11 minute course, you, you know, your horse might feel different for that last, you know, minute and a half or whatever, you know, where they're beginning to, um, uh, you know they've been galloping for a long time and still have jumps to jump. It's very important to know how to um, kind of nurture your horse through that that you know last bit, and then what to do with them afterwards. And I think on one of our future podcasts, we can we can have a whole um, a ho- whole podcast on what you do with the horse in the Super. moment you get off of them at a three day event because we've done an awful lot of it for a, a lot of years, and uh, that's one of the jobs that I I have that I. Um, I do all the time, uh, you know, in, in many different places around the around the country, and, and you know, really around the world. Yeah, uh, that that'll be. Uh, I'm gonna hold you to that. That is gonna be. It's our, a date. That's a date. <laughs> so everyone is listening. Sure. To this, well, look we, out for that. we can do that. This is something I you know, I've been doing for decades now, and I, I think you know we have our own system. You know that I started out doing with Philip, and then you know this has branched out into. Phillips, uh, you know, students that have all become so successful, you know, Boyd and Ryan and, mm-hmm. um, you know, his secretary, Sarah, Sarah uh, uh, um, you know, Heidi White, uh, you know, well, all of these people that have ridden with Philip for some period of time have taken away a lot of the um, management tools and techniques that, you know, um, we tr- tried to pass on to them. And all of those people have won an FBI competition. Everyone, all those students that have been with Philip for any, any period of time, everyone has won at least one, and most of them many FEI competitions. So, I think that they, uh, you know, they, they went away from their kind of, I'll say, equine college education. Uh, you know, there at uh, Philip Dutton Eventing, um, with some, uh, you know, with some um, uh, new knowledge on, on how to manage your horse, and we'll we'll, we'll cover cover that one evening. It's Super, absolutely fine. sounds good. Well, Kevin, we just uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show, and um, oh, my pleasure. Awesome. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, tell everyone to look out for future episodes of Dr. Yeah. Kevin Keene. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank 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 you, Rob and Karen, for inviting me on. And uh, uh, I know there's been an introduction, so hopefully we'll we'll get into some uh, areas of, of education um, as we go on. We're looking so, forward to it. Thanks right. a lot. Thank Thanks you so much. Bye bye. Okay. Cheers. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember to subscribe to Major League Eventing's podcast and give us a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can always contact us at MajorLeagueEventing at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.